All right. Are we ready to get started? Yes. Yes. Everybody excited? Yes. All right. Well, why don't you stand up? Now sit down. No. <laughs> let's uh, let's all hold hands. Yes. Let's do it this way. And let's pray. Hey, in Argentina, when the revival hit, there were so many new converts, they didn't know how to pray, so they figured out a, new, a way to teach them how to pray. The pastor would pray, and they'd repeat after him. So we'll do a prayer a la Argentina, okay? So I'm going to pray, and you repeat after me, okay? All right. Now, don't, this is none of these, you know, anemic prayers for, oh, Lord, pour me, bless me, all right? No, no, no. We are going to, we're going to be loud, all right? And when we take authority over the devil, let him know where he needs to go, okay? Yep. All right, so are we ready? Yes. Father, God, Father God, in the name of Jesus, name we of Jesus. come before your throne room with praise, with, praise. with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. and we say, you are our daddy, and we enter in with boldness. And now we say, let your kingdom come. And your will be done. Here on earth. In San Jose. And in all the nations. As it is in heaven. And now in the name of Jesus. We take authority. Over all power of the evil one. And we say to you, Satan, get lost. You don't belong here. Get off my mind. Get out of San Jose. Get away from us. Because we belong to the kingdom of heaven. Now, Father God, bless the person on my right. Bless the person on my left. Touch them. Fill them up. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, now turn to your neighbor and say, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. We love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. All right, how many of you have met me? How many of you know, know who I am? Okay, so three of you. I am Ted Haas. I work in, with a ministry called Transform Our World, also known as Harvest Evangelism. We've been based here in the Bay Area for 38 years. And uh, I joined, I've been with this ministry full-time for 22 years. I'm the husband of one wife. It's like, you have to clarify all these things in the Bay Area. <laughs> My husband of one wife. <laughs> uh, we have four children. We've been uh, members of, I've known David Kenneth Tracy for quite a few years. Um, and we've been members of Gateway for, uh, I think, almost two years now. Um, I said I had four kids, right? Yeah. Two girls and two boys. And um, very excited to be here. So my role at Transform Our World is I am the chief intercessor. I also oversee our media department. 
And I also am uh, the brand evangelist. So I go around and tell people about Transform Our World and try to get them excited to work together so that we can transform our world. So um, what we do is, as I said, we're based here. And we're a small organization, uh, those of us full-time here, this is our international headquarters, there's like eight of us full-time. So a really small organization. Uh, we're working all across the globe. We had 35 nations just join us right here in the Bay Area just uh, three weeks ago for our global conference on transformation. It was amazing. How many of you were there? Was it good or yeah. mediocre? Or? You weren't there. Were you there? No, not the conference here. I heard the, the man, Sunday was awesome. Uh, man, I was fired up. That was awesome. We just had our global conference, the Transform Our World Global Conference, about three weeks ago. It was incredible. 35 plus nations, people from all over, 800 people came here, leaders, movers, shakers, because they're hungry, because it's God's time to transform nations. All right? So I am just super, super honored um, to be teaching this class. Okay? So um, throughout the course of this time, we'll get to know each other. And I'm an interactive sort of guy. You know, you can shout back. You know, you can interrupt me. I'm sure, you know, uh, hopefully we'll have some questions um, and answers. Um, I can guarantee questions. I don't know if I can guarantee an answer, but I can guarantee a question. You know what they say, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. So I make a lot, I, I'm personally in the habit of making a lot of questions not be dumb anymore because I ask them all the time. So feel free to do that, all right? So I want this to be interactive. You should have some handouts. So I wanted to start out, do you have this handout? If you don't have this handout, raise your hand. Uh, and if we can get those, and Carol is gonna get them for us. Yeah, front page. The packet. The packet. Yeah, mine is the same as yours, only with scribbles on it. And yours will have scribbles at the end of the day. Okay, everybody's got the packet, okay? We're going to have more notes, um, you know, each week, so be ready. Okay? Um, I wanted to read this. This is a quote from one of the books, Anointed for Business, by Dr. Ed Savoso. And this kind of summarizes what I want to see happen out of this class and what I want to see happen here in San Jose through what you guys will catch. So, this is Jerusalem Transformed. You'll have to get it in context, so, but you have the, at the end of your package, you have the whole introduction to this book. It was such conditioning that allowed the apostles to fill Jerusalem with the good news in just a few weeks by leading thousands to the Lord. As a result, Jerusalem experienced transformation at the deepest level. The needs of the poor and the widows, two very vulnerable groups, were met. The hungry were fed and the sick were healed. The gospel even had a positive influence on the Sanhedrin, the most powerful forum the Jews had. Solomon's portico became the place of a steady stream of signs and wonders giving the emerging church favor with the people. The movement was so dynamic that eventually the streets and sidewalks of Jerusalem 
were turned into evangelistic venues where sick people lined up, hoping that the healing shadow of Peter would fall upon them. Soon multitudes from nearby cities flooded Jerusalem. What a change! This was the city that had previously grieved Jesus to the point of tears, but was now giving him tremendous joy. It began on the day of Pentecost when the disciples left the enclosed confines of the upper room and went to the open space of the marketplace. On that day, Peter, the fisherman, became the first fisher of men, setting a pattern soon to be replicated throughout the Roman Empire. This movement was not led by individuals notorious for their religious acumen, but by people known for their rules, roles in the marketplace fishermen, tax collectors, farmers, or today we could add engineers, nannies, um, small business owners, uh, people in media, ordinary people. That's my passion, and that's my premise. When I read about this, I, I mean, Ed captures it so eloquently, we could read directly from the scriptures, but I believe this is my life. This is what I am all about. And I read this and I say that's normal Christianity. Doesn't matter what I've experienced. It doesn't matter my unbelief. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what I can see in with my natural eyes or what I've experienced so far. What I read in the scriptures, when you read this, this is what I want to see in my lifetime now, in 2018 and 2019, right here in the Bay Area. I am going to share with you stories that are going to blow you away, where you are going to hear about what God is doing all over the globe that is just so encouraging, where he's turning cities upside down. But my passion for this class is not that you get inspired. I mean, I love to have fun. I love to be inspired. But I want to see you activated. Because I believe that it's, it, you know, it's us. It's the ordinary people. It's the followers of Jesus. You know, like I keep saying, transformation is a team sport. There's lots of good players in the NBA. But what makes the Warriors so good? Not just that they have really good players, but the way they work together as a team. Everybody has a role. That's what the body of Christ is. It's a team, and transformation is a team sport. So, um, today, I'm going to kind of give an intro and really wanted to share some of the stories of transformation of what the Lord's doing. Um, but a little bit more as an overview, I have three books, four, four books, four, one, two, three, four, yes. But two of them are the same book, hence three. <laughs> um, these are by Ed Silvoso, the leader of our ministry, my spiritual father. I've known him since 1972. And I was two years old at the time, my church in Southern California. So I don't really remember that part. But my church, I remember him when I was probably a little bit older. Anyways, my church in Southern California, Hesperia Community Church, uh, was the second church to take the Savoso family on as missionary support when they launched out. Um, how many of you have heard of Ed Savoso? How many of you have never heard of Ed Savoso? Okay. So um, have you heard of Luis Palau? Luis Palau, the evangelist, you know, the Argentine, he's like Billy Graham with an accent and still alive. Um, 
So uh, Ed Savoso is Luis Palau's brother-in-law, okay? So they both grew up in Argentina, and Ed was part of one of the key leaders of the revival in Argentina. And um, anyways, when he left the Palau team and launched uh, uh, um, Harvest Evangelism, our church supported him. I knew him all these years. Um, and then I got to know him a lot better when I was in college, and I went down to Argentina and played on a basketball team. So um, just to get just to, to, to quell the, the, the curiosity of those who have not asked me yet. I'm six foot nine. And yes, I do play basketball. Okay. So we got that out of the way. Uh, but I went down to Argentina in, um, oh boy, back in 1990. And I got to experience these things we're reading about. I got to see them firsthand. And it really, uh, really grabbed hold of my heart. And uh, a few years later after that, the Lord sent me as a missionary to Portugal after I graduated from college. And um, I was playing basketball there and uh, working as a missionary. And that's how I ended up meeting my wife. Um, and uh, uh, then, you know, we just uh, joined Harvest full time in 96 when we got married and had the opportunity to go down to Argentina many, many, many times and experience the revival. I'll share with you some of the stories of what was happening down, then, uh, down there at the, uh, back then at that time. So now here we are. So this is Ed Savoso. These are three of the books that are going to be, um, you know, that I'm going to reference. I'm not going to, you know, dive deeply into them. Um, but these... This is what's really going to activate you. Anointed for Business is about the call of God into the marketplace. So often we have thought, kind of a misbelief, that if you're called to God, you know, if you're called by God into full-time ministry, you have to leave your job as a nanny, you know, or you have to leave your job in a motorcycle shop, go to Bible school, get trained, and then go work in a church, either as a pastor or maybe as a missionary full-time. That's beautiful if that's what the Lord calls you to, if that's what your passion is. You should do that. But um, all Christians are in full-time ministry. And some of them are in pulpit ministry. Others are in marketplace ministry. And the, the sheep that need a shepherd the most aren't the found sheep. It's the lost sheep. And the ones who are going to pastor the lost sheep are those who are in marketplace ministry the marketplace ministers. So this is really about your call, and uh, we'll dive more into this. In fact, next week I'll have books here and you can purchase them. This comes after that, transformation. It talks about the five pivotal paradigms. For us to transform our nation, it begins with us. And it begins with us transforming our heart and our transforming our mind. We have to change the way we think if we're going to go out there and fulfill the Great Commission. And this is Ed Savoso's latest book, Ecclesia, where it talks about the Ecclesia, which is the word that we translate church, which is probably a mistranslation, certainly in the way that we conceive of it as a religious institution. Ecclesia, the word Jesus used, was never a religious term. Ecclesia referred to the assembly and it was originally coined by the Greeks and then used by the Romans. And the, it was the assembly, the, the legislative body that ruled over the Greek town or then ruled over the Roman town. So the Lord was saying, I will build my ecclesia 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right back, our identity has always been not as a stale religious institution holding out, waiting for Jesus to come back, and hopefully we won't go to hell in the interim. But meanwhile, our cities are getting worse and worse. We have such doom and gloom in our mindset, and we think we're powerless to do anything about it. No, that was not, never the intent of the movement that Jesus started. Jesus said, I am starting, I am going to form my legislative body to govern here on earth as it is in heaven, and the gates of hell are going to come against you, but don't worry. Because if you got gates, but you don't have any keys, how are you going to use those gates? Because I took the keys of the kingdom from the devil and I've given them to you. So they got big gates, but you got small little keys that are going to open up those gates, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen? So these are the three books. I'll have more of them here next week for you to purchase um, that I'm going to be referencing from and building from and building upon. But my real desire here is that you don't get head knowledge, but that you get activated. I was so fired up on Sunday. Man, that was beautiful. I'm like, wow, and now I've got to follow that guy on Tuesday. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the bad side. You know, you come after such a great preacher. So, transformation begins with you. We talk about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not a building. The body of Christ is the people, and it's the relationships. And if we want to see our city reached, if we want to see transformation happen, it begins with us. Something has to change within us. And we have a theory, we have a saying that says, Subscribe to the theology of more. However much you have, there's more for you. However much of God you've already experienced, there's more of God. He wants more of you. You know, we think about faith in God. Have you ever realized how much faith God has in you? So the subject today is I want you to really get fired up and understand that for transformation to happen, it has to begin within me. My heart has to be circumcised. I get to fall, I get to fall deeper in love with Jesus. I get to lay, more, lay hold of more of him. And my thinking gets to change so that transformation can go beyond that to my city. It's not some method. There's no silver bullet, although there are certainly biblical principles that we need to learn. And so often when we learn a biblical principle that's been right underneath our minds, we have to, right underneath our eyes, we have to unlearn a principle that we had before. You know, we have to replace an old belief with a new belief. It's certainly that. We have to, we have to love the Lord with our mind. But it's no silver bullet. There's no like formula. It's no like A, B, C, and D that's going to change our city. What's going to change it is a savior. What's going to change it is a person. What's going to change it is understanding him and understanding his call of God upon each of us for us to get activated and to go out and see things change. So I want to tell you about a guy named Brian Burton. So if you had been at our global conference, you would have had a chance to meet him. Brian Burton is an uh, English guy. He's pretty, pretty, pretty big, pretty tall. And uh, he was working as a missionary in Thailand. And in 2007, 
And then 2008, he went to our global conference, which back in those days was in Argentina. It's the first time. So Thailand is 96% Buddhist and 4% Muslim. So any mathematicians in here, add that up, and you can figure out how many Christians there were in the nation. So small, they weren't even making a blip on the statistics. Okay? He had been working there for 20 years and had a church of 45 members as a result. And his was one of the largest churches, I think his was the largest church in his city of Phuket, Thailand. And one of, it was one of the mega churches in Thailand. Okay? He comes down to, to Argentina basically because a marketplace minister in his church had heard about Ed and had been to our conference the year before and had said, Brian, before you give up, go down there and, <laughs> and, and, and check it out. He comes down and, I mean, he gets immersed in transformation. He hears the stories of nations being reached and gets, gets touched. What he said in his own words is he said, I always knew we were called to disciple nations, but for the first time you've given me a blueprint. You've told me. You've, you've told me how. Now I know how. And he said, and he received a spirit of adoption. He said, finally, there's a family. I found my tribe. I realize that I'm not crazy. Or if I am crazy, at least there's other people in the insane asylum. <laughs> so we like to say, we'll certify your sanity again. Or if not, at least you'll have friends in the crazy bin, okay? <laughs> what I say is we didn't, we weren't suddenly, you know, transform our world, Ed Savosa. We weren't suddenly the, you know, the Messiah on a white horse that came in and solved everything. Like everything he had done up till then was wrong. Quite the opposite. Everything he had done up till then was right. But what was missing? I mean, how can you pour out your life for 20 years and have a church of 45 members as a result of it? And he was grateful for that, but there's got to be more. What happened is when it all came together, he got activated. I call it the last quarter turn. Everything is there. You know, it's like the house is all wired. You just have to connect it to the power on the street. And once it's connected, you flip the switch. There was a house there, but it was dark. It wasn't functioning until you get that last quarter turn and then everything clicks. Well, that's what happened with him. At the end of the conference, okay, he's fired up. Okay, so just imagine you're this pastor. You've been pouring out your life for 20 years in Thailand and doing things right. I mean, serving, serving in the tsunami. You're out there caring for the poor, but, you know, in tremendous self-sacrificing ways. And God has moved so powerfully and he sustains you through it. But you got 45 members and you're dreaming about transforming the city. <sighs> he was burned out before he came to the conference. Afterwards, now he's all fired up. But now the conference is over. What's he going to do? He's got to go back. So he goes, Ed, Daddy Ed. <laughs> now I have a dad. What do I do? And Ed says, that book, Transformation, what you need to do is you need to go back and you need to impart to your people what you received. You say, okay, we talked about transformation. It just come out. He says, okay, the five pivotal paradigms. And he begins thinking, okay, I can do a sermon series on that. Five pivotal paradigms. I'll do five, I'll do five sermons, one on each of the pivotal paradigms. And Ed says, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not about a series. It's not about the form. It's about what you've received. You need to go back to your people. 
You need to look them in the eyes. You need to teach them and impart to them and activate them and keep doing it until they receive it. This is five sermons a series. It's not about that. It's not about the form. It's in letting the Holy Spirit that you received go into them. And he's like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. And when will I be done? And he says, you'll know when you're done. So that's what he does. He comes back. And he does that. And he starts preaching on transformation over and over again. And he started with, you know, where he, where, with our calling. We are called to disciple nations. He looked at these 45 members and says, we might be a tiny little minority in Thailand, but God has called us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Our mission is to go and disciple Thailand. You're going to disciple Thailand. You are a nation changer. You are a nation changer. Do you know what happened? His 45-member church grew to 22 members. <laughs> but he kept going forward. <laughs> kept moving forward through the bumps, through the rejection. See, if God has called you, you're going to have to know, is that from God or is that from man? You're going to have to face some rejection. We get all fired up. Oh, I love Lauren Cunningham talked about faith. Faith is like a muscle. So if you want new faith, you know what that is? You're saying, Lord, put more weights on the barbell. And it's going to be hard. And he gave this altar call. Who wants more faith? And then he says, you know what's going to happen if you respond to this altar call? Everything's going to go wrong. <laughs> it's going to get worse. If God has called you, you're not going to have to, you can't get your affirmation out of people. You're going to have to be able to face some rejection. You're going to have to have expectations and think anyone can believe God when you're in that service on Sunday. The anointing is there. Throw a rabbit in there and they'll be confessing God. Right? The anointing is so strong. Anyone can believe God. Okay? So activate the faith, but then walk out and keep believing Him when everything goes the opposite way. When you feel the exact opposite. I'm speaking to you in here. I know, because I'm speaking to myself. So, 20, 20, 20 some members. You know what, folks? I might be getting some of the details wrong, but it's very close, okay? I've heard the story many, many times, all right? Just if I'm streaming this, Brian, Brian, if I got the numbers wrong, just text me. So, um, then something happened. Ed tells about it in here, in this book. One of the members, Juan Lapa. We call her the ice cream lady. She was one of the 22 members in his church. Uh, we met her there. She had gotten saved 10 years prior. She, prior to that, was a spiritist. And she had cancer. So she would make her living by people coming and she talking to the spirits and doing her thing. And then uh, she got cancer and was dying and her gods, her demons couldn't help her at all. So she reached out to the church. She reached out to Brian. Brian went and met her. She was, you know, on the floor of the dirt floor of her hut. We, I've seen a picture. I, we have a picture of her there. She was bald like me, you know. She'd lost all her hair. She had a mangy little cat there that looked about the same. <laughs> and, uh, and Brian walked in there. I mean, she's Thai. He's British, you know. I mean... Unless God's with you, what can you do? 
He says, I did not know why I said this, but these words came out of my mouth. Silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And she got up and walked. She was healed, miraculously healed. This had happened back in like the late 90s. This was 10 years prior. And she got saved, and this woman was a people person. She loved to tell her story. And she was a born evangelist, but... In that time, I mean, Thailand's 96% Buddhist, 4% Muslim. She had led zero people to the Lord, but not for lack of trying. But when he came back, something got activated. You are a nation changer. You are a world changer. And it just began to click. Okay, I've had a miracle. It's not enough for me to tell people about, their mir- about my miracle. I need to pray for them to experience their own miracle. We're going to talk about prayer evangelism in one of the classes. The most powerful tool we have to convince, you know, Silicon Valley that only cares about the bottom line, that is so humanist, so naturalist, so intelligent, and so smart, is not our words, it's not our intellect, it's not our study, it's not our sensitivity to make sure we don't offend anybody. The most powerful tool we have to convince them that, what, that Jesus is real, that he rose from the dead, is prayer. Amen. Let them have a miracle. Praise God. Well, she began to get this. She began to understand, I'm a pastor of the lost sheep. He's not just the pastor. I'm also a pastor. I'm activated. If you're coming to church to be pastored, if you're coming to church to get fed, It's time for you to grow up. Come to church to be discipled because you are a minister. You are a leader. Leave church saying, and wake up to go to work on Monday saying, thank God it's Monday. I mean, people talk about the church. You know, I I left that church. I just wasn't getting fed. Weren't getting fed? How long you been? You can't feed yourself yet. It's like you're a grown and I can't eat. I don't know. Come to church to be discipled. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, so it happened. She got activated. And within three months, she had led 300 people to the Lord. All over. Then she read in the Bible that it says, pray for all men everywhere, especially rulers and all those in authority. She's like, Lord, this is great, but all these people are poor people. I want to reach a rich person. So she had an ice cream cart. That's how she made her living, because she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, if you get saved and you're a former spiritist, you can't keep being a spiritist just to make money. you got to get a new job. <laughs> so the church had bought her an ice cream cart. So, so... That's how she'd make her living. So she parked her ice cream cart outside of the governor's mansion. So this is the governor of Phuket. So this was like of the province. So this is, this is uh, a higher up. I mean, this is like right next to the president, okay? And uh, they have a king there too in Thailand. And she would, you know, park outside his place, and, and she knew which ice creams he liked. She'd put those way at the bottom, and she'd start praying over the ice cream so they'd be anointed. And his were way at the bottom, so they're nice and cold, and he had to wait longer for her to get them. And then she asked for an appointment. And I just imagine that he gave her an appointment because he knew there's only one way I'm going to get this woman to stop asking me for an appointment, and that's if I give it to her. She comes there, you've got to see her. She's just, she's, you know, petite little woman. 
<laughs> just sitting there outside. He puts her off for like two hours, and she just quietly sits there. He says, okay, you got five minutes. Come on in. And she shares her story. And the five minutes go longer, and he's really, really touched. And she invites him to church. says, come to our church. Comes to church next Sunday. But Brian gets up and he sees the provincial mayor in the church. And this is not a big church yet. I mean, it was growing, but it was, I mean, you know, it wasn't that large. <laughs> and he's like, oh man. His message was to preach on pivotal paradigm number five. If we're going to transform a city, it has to be tangible. And the premier indicator is when we eliminate systemic poverty. But to eliminate systemic poverty, we have to uproot systemic corruption. And he's like, God, if I'm going to talk about corruption, I mean, this guy's the most corrupt guy out there. And he signs my visa. <laughs> he's going to kick me out of the country. He said he's having this conversation with the Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, I can, he can revoke your visa, but I can revoke your next breath. So you decide who you want to side with. So he goes ahead and he preaches this message on uprooting systemic corruption. And he can tell the guy either has a beautiful pair of shoes or he's not enjoying himself. And then eventually he gets up and leaves early. And he's like, so after the service, he goes home to his wife and says, pack your bags. <laughs> I think we're going to get kicked out of Thailand. And then the next week, he gets an invitation to go to lunch with the provincial mayor. And he's like, well, at least the guy's got class. He's going to buy me, take me out to lunch before he kicks me out of the country. He meets with him, and he says, you know, I was at your church on Sunday. And he goes, yeah, I, I noticed. And he says, uh, you preached on, on corruption. He goes, yes, I remember. And he said, I didn't like your message. And he's like, <laughs> he says, uh, because that hospital that was just built, I took a million-dollar bribe. And for the first time, I realized that uh, I wasn't just robbing from the poor. I wasn't just enriching. For the first time, I realized I wasn't just enriching myself. I was robbing from the poor. That's a horrible sin. Could God ever forgive me? I mean, and it's like going fishing and having a fish jump into the boat. And not just jump into the boat. You know, jump up to you, kiss you on both sides of the cheek and say, here I am, fillet me, Where's the, show me the way to the frying pan. He says, yes, you can, it's a horrible sin, but God can forgive you, and this is why. Shares the gospel with him, and he gets saved right there. Then he appoints him as his director of ethics. <laughs> so, folks, it's just beginning, Okay. The guy leaves that meeting and immediately goes and meets with the builder and the, the director of the hospital. He calls a meeting with him. And he says, um, here's the million dollar bribe I took. This is wrong, I'm returning it. And the builder's face sinks, says, oh well, if, you, if you're returning your million, here's the half a million I took. These are US dollars, okay? And the director of the hospital says, what are you guys doing? This was all under the table. I can't enter a new accounting ledger that says return bribes. <laughs> what are we going to do with this? And so the new believer, the provincial mayor, who had had about an hour and a half of discipleship, been saved maybe eight hours at that time, says, Pastor Brian Burton says we're supposed to take care of the poor. 
let's put this into a fund to take care of the poor. And they took, they, they helped meet the needs to get water for some of the people who were the victims of the tsunami and didn't have clean water. Um, this was all beginning in early 2007. By about a year and a half, that fund had grown to over $7 million. That church that was 45 and then grew to 22 is now, the last I heard, the best count they have is 20,000 members. It's not, a, it's not a mega church in the sense of a massive building. It's all decentralized because uh, Juan Lapa, Brian Burton, who understands Thai history, he says he believes she is the most effective evangelist in the history of Thailand. She's obviously, you know, the outlier as far as the example, but everybody in their congregation has gotten activated. And we, use, we tease Brian when he comes up and says, hey, tell us the story of the latest person who's been raised from the dead. And it just goes on and on and on. And it's so powerful. But it began with a pastor having an encounter with God. Him imparting it to the people that he had influence over. And him activating them and them believing. So that's exciting. That's exciting about Thailand. I've been... Here's my story, okay? So I was... You know, I grew up in... Uh, you know... We, we, I went to a Bible church, and so we were a cessationist. You know what that means? Yeah. Cessationist means that we believe that the sign gifts ended, well, there's lots of different ways to believe it. We, our personal flavor was when the Bible was finished, the sign gifts ceased, because the signs were for when you didn't have a complete Bible. And now we have the completed Bible, which is so much better. I mean, it's really, it's really a sweet little system. You're really, really, you have to be really smart to understand it. If you read the Bible like a child, <laughs> you're never going to come to that conclusion. <laughs> so that's how, that's how we kind of grew up, you know, and, you know, I, whatever. I didn't really question it. I had gotten offended by religion when I was in, like, junior high. So, you know, no one wants to go to hell, so I didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't want to live my life. I you know, I didn't want to be a hypocrite like all those hypocrites. The hypocrisy hurt, in me, hurt me so much, I decided that I would have, I had a really good plan. I'd become the worst hypocrite, you know. That's what happens with sin. We react against something because we get hurt, and then we end up being worse than that. So anyway, so I wasn't really following the Lord. And then I went to the master's college, uh, again, which is another one of these cessationist colleges. And uh, the Lord bribed me to go there. He gave me a scholarship uh, to play basketball. <laughs> But it was after my freshman year that the Lord really got a hold of me, you know. It was meeting other, other, other basketball players, marketplace ministers. We didn't have that terminology at all, but they were modeling it. And uh, they were just on fire for the Lord, and they played basketball for Him. And it was the first time I saw someone cool that, you know, that like loved Jesus and understood what I was passionate about, I suddenly realized, wow, God is passionate about what I'm passionate about. I'm made in his image. God likes to play basketball, or at least, you know, I mean, he likes to watch me. He put that in there. And he wants me to do it for him. So that's, you know, that was, and it was the year after that that then I went to Argentina. And I saw this incredible revival. We went down there, so... 
Um, I'll tell you about uh, uh, Pastor um, Pancho Murguia, who's from Ciudad Juarez. Ciudad Juarez was the murder capital of the universe in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. Horrible, horrible, horrific um, violence through the cartels. And uh, anyways, it's been totally turned around. I'll tell that story later. But he went down there at the time, and he was inspired by seeing the revival in the prison system in Argentina. So in the prison system in Argentina, it began, the move of God began in, in, the, in the prison, the transformation in the prison, began in a maximum security prison, almost prison, which was in the city of La Plata, which is a suburb of, um, of Buenos Aires. The city is about 200,000 people, um, maybe 300,000, somewhere in there. Almost was the kingpin prison. So this was the, the, the primary hub of the Buenos Aires network of prisons. And I mean, in Argentina, the, the province of Buenos Aires is, I think, half of the population of the whole country. So, you know, you're talking about generally pretty much the whole country there. Um, and uh, in this, this prison that was built to house 1,000 inmates, housed 3,000 inmates, it, before God moved in there, it was just a total hellhole. Um, the inmates would riot, and when the inmates in almost rioted, it would spread to the prisons all across, all across the, the province. The top floor was just burnt out because of the riots. And then the Lord called one pastor in there, began to move, and to make a long story short, when we visited there the first time, I think the first time I went in there was probably 1996, um, and then we went to Argentina, I personally, from then until 2008, twice a year. One, one year we went three times. We'd go visit the prison. That was the highlight of the trip. When we had our global conference, we would bring all the, all the you know, we'd have like sometimes a thousand delegates from all over the world, and we'd bring them to the prison. The, 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 our excuse was that we wanted them to show, see that, you know, let them see transformation firsthand. That was our excuse. Our real reason was to have the inmates pray for them so they could get all the demons cast out of them. <laughs> it was extremely effective. <laughs> it was so amazing. The first time I visited there, I'm just a young kid. I don't know any better. I mean, I'm fresh out of I'm like 26, 27 at the time, okay? I mean, you think you're old at that time. <laughs> you're really, I don't know nothing, you know? And I go in there. My first clue was, I mean, it's scary. It's like San Quentin, you know? I mean, built in that same era, you know? Really dark, you know? And, I, and they take our passports, and of course they're teasing us. You know? <laughs> they say, you know, I mean, you guys are going to meet the last delegate that didn't obey the rules. They're still in there from last year, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then they say, oh, yeah, we're going to have a meeting with some of our leaders. Okay, yeah, there'll be 500 people there. I'm like, some of your leaders is 500 people? And then they give us, you know, you're not, all the rules, you're not allowed to touch the inmates and all that, and be respectful, you know, it could be, it could be a, a hostage situation and all that. So we go in there, and then in this, you know, this old room, the gymnasium, we're meeting there, there's 500 inmates. I'm like, packed, filled. Like, and then there's like one guard way in the back, and he's not even paying attention. 
And then they've got, you know, like those things that you, crowd control things that, you know, like in an airport, only they don't have none of those fancy things. They just have like a little, like two by two on, you know, with a little thing to hold it up and a string. It's like string keeping us from the inmates. I'm like, and you're supposed to stay on this side. It's like, this is our security, okay? And then the inmates start worshiping and praising the Lord. And then we have testimony stories. And these were what the testimonies were like. I remember one year, this is the late 90s, this is the height of the AIDS crisis. And they decide to have the theme be that God heals today and God can heal of AIDS. And they have an inmate get up and he shares his story. And I'm like, it's something like when my father killed my mother, it really hurt me. And then I ran out and boom, 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 getting in drugs and this and that. And by the time he shared about how he contracted AIDS, it's generally through intravenous drug use, I'm sitting back there thinking and saying, AIDS are the least of your problems. You are messed up. And then, you know, I got in trouble and I wanted to get better and, and I tried and I went to this rehab and that. And nothing helped, nothing helped, nothing helped. And I was in and out and finally I came here and I met Jesus. And Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. And I'm sitting there in my own mind thinking, okay, tell me the magic. Okay. Because I know how people get saved. And I've heard about people get saved before, you know, from messed up lifestyles. That's super inspiring. But I want to know how you do miracles. Okay. So tell me, tell me the secret. Tell me the secret sauce. And they're like, oh, and he healed me of AIDS. And some of them had their certification. Some of them didn't, you know. I'm like, wait. Wait, wait, where's the magic? Then the next guy gets up. And he shares a story that makes the first guy look like his life was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. And then I came here, I met Jesus, and he saved me and healed me. Huh. So he sits down. And I keep thinking, wait, wait, where, where do I know the trick? When, when do I get to hear the trick? And they kept going on. I think a dozen of them shared. We didn't end because they ran out of people to give testimonies. We ended because we had to, you know, be on time and get to the next place where we had to go. I'm like, you're having stories about guys being saved of AIDS and you're, you're running out of time for people to share? I'm running out and, and I spoke a little bit of Spanish. This guy's pulling on my shoulder and he wants to explain how he was also healed of AIDS. I mean, oh, poor guy. You were just healed of AIDS. It wasn't dramatic enough for you to get up on the pulpit, on the platform. I'm like, and I'm just sitting there and this is a whole nother world. And as we're worshiping together, we begin worshiping and the, you know, the sound is, you know, the acoustics are horrible. The sound is way off key. But they start clapping and they start singing. The presence of the Lord comes. It is suddenly the music just sounds so beautiful to me. I'm like, this is just like a promise keepers rally. I mean, only they, I, I remember thinking, this feels just like a promise keepers rally, but they don't have the fancy, nice little polo shirts that you have at promise keepers. I felt so safe. The presence of the Lord was there. And then the Lord, I'm looking there and the Lord speaks to me. He says, where are you at? I'm like, you know, the Lord asks us such brilliant questions. I, don't know, I think it's because he likes to meet us where we're at. <laughs> Walk us through these things. Okay, I'm in a maximum security prison. Maximum security prison. How did those people get here? 
They didn't get here because they graduated from Sunday school class with honors. They got here because they had horrible, horrible lives like this story you just heard. He says, take a rock, throw it into that crowd, hit one of those inmates, go, grab them, talk to them, and you're going to hear a story as inspiring as what you just heard. And I realized the reason they didn't have any secret to the magic is because there was no magic. The magic is Jesus Christ. And I go back and I'm thinking about all my intellectualism and everything, you know, all we learned and all the verses we can quote. It's like those poor inmates, they don't know any of that. They don't have any of that. They just pick up the Bible and they read it like children. And they're naive enough to believe it. And when it says these signs will follow those who believe. And I remember thinking, you know, you've all been in this situation where you have like the aunt who's like so on fire. And she, she's Pentecostal and she speaks in tongues. And she believes that if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. And they lay hands on you and they're going to pray and this prayer group is going to keep praying for you. And there's only two ways, socially, there's only two ways you can get out of that. Either you have an encounter with God and you speak in tongues or you fake it. Because there's no other way out, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Amen, okay? Now I'm like that. Anyways, okay. I remember thinking, you know, man, those annoying Pentecostals, you know, they just think that, you know, it's part of the package. And, and I thought of that. And the Lord says, you know, these poor inmates, they just feel it's part of the package. If you get saved and you meet Jesus and one of your problems is you have AIDS, he's going to heal you because that's what Jesus died for. Well, then I had a crisis of my mind. What are you going to believe? What you've experienced? You know, we say that. I heard that over and over. You can't base your doctrine upon experience. You have to base it upon the Word of God. Absolutely true. But when I talk about this conviction that I have that God is going to transform San Jose. That it is His time now. I'm not talking because I went and had this ecstatic experience and an angel spoke to me, although I love that. I love it when you feel the presence of the Lord and you start weeping and you, He speaks to you and He makes everything so clear. But that's not what sustains me. What sustains me is this conviction that it's what the Bible says that is true regardless of our experience. When I get discouraged, when I'm not encouraged, when Ted the encourager needs to be encouraged, I keep going back to who's on my team? God. Who's always with me? God. Who will never leave me or forsake me? God. I want to see the Bay Area reached. And I keep hearing him saying, Ted, you want it? I want it. I desire that none should perish, that all should be saved. That all should be saved. Can you figure that out? That none are going to die, that none are going to be lost, and that all should be saved? I don't know if you can figure it out, and I don't know if it's about figuring it out. Stop trying to figure it out. God said He wants none to perish, for all to be saved, and He proved how much He wants it by giving His Son to die. How much more have I got to do to prove it? See, it's this conviction of understanding that it's what the Scripture says that's true, regardless of what you may think. So I had this crisis where I had now experienced something 
And I remember coming back and meeting with men of God who I respected. I remember one in particular. You know, and I was so on fire. And, and, and you know, I could see he was happy. And I think he was happy because I would cause so much problems when I didn't, wasn't following the Lord. He's like, you know, glad Ted's on fire again. And I, you know, give him my whole spiel about transformation. It's God's time for California. I was living in Southern California at the time. God's going to reach the high desert and miracles, you know, all this stuff. He pats me on the back. And then we got to pray together. Let's pray. Let's pray for revival. Let's meet together and pray for revival. Yeah. Pats me on the back. And he says, Ted, you have to realize that what God did in Argentina, that was what he did in Argentina. You can't expect that as the norm for everywhere. Now, so I was pondering that. And... um, I know the good side of what he was trying to say is, Ted, what comes up comes down. You know? And if you're trying to live your life and build a ministry on emotions and when you're happy and when you're up, you're not going to sustain that. So that's a good thing. I affirm that. But this idea that the signs, wonders, and exciting stuff is something that happens over there, that's just unbelief. If God did it in Argentina, yeah, he'll do something different here, but it's going to be at least that good or better because he can do immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine. And it's not about Argentina. It's about him and it's about his heart. It's about faith. And we have to be activated in our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We need to believe. So I had this crisis. I either had to hold on to all of my nice little system where everything fits and everything's safe and you've got it all figured out. Or you have to take a step and get rid of all that and choose to... So I read the Scriptures. The only example of church life recorded in the Scriptures and I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. This is the authority. It's not what you think. You can tell me whatever you want. What does the Bible say? What is the Bi- Let the Bible speak for itself. It's the book of Acts. So when I read what Ed Savosa so eloquently quoted here, this is what the, Bi- the, the, the New Testament church did. Nobodies. People from outcasts. They didn't have any money. They didn't have buildings at that time. It's many years later that they started acquiring any sort of influence. The Spirit of the Lord came so powerfully, and they filled Jerusalem. By the end of Paul's, by the end of Paul's journey, he says, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. I think it's Spain. Because I've preached all about this area, and there's no place left for me to preach anymore. It's been filled. He was in Ephesus for two years. And after two years... It says God moved so powerfully with extraordinary miracles that all who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. He reached everybody, both Jew and Gentile. It's like it's reiterating everybody was reached. Those are the models we have of what the body of Christ did. And I want to tell you, the body of Christ is alive and well in Silicon Valley. The problem's not with Jesus. The problem's not with the Father. 
He's expressed His will. And I tell you, man, the best thing to be is a Christian. And I tell you, it's time for us. We're coming out of the closet. And the world's going to know who we are. But it changes in us. We have to believe. We have to be willing to step out. See, I had to let go of my own safety area. I had to be willing to step out. And I had to persevere in rejection. I remember back then in the day, <laughs> I'd go every single prayer meeting I was in, you know, I, I, I started reading everything. I was reading about revivals. I thought a revival was going to happen in every single prayer meeting I was at. I just, God's going to show up. Everyone's going to be speaking in tongues. It's going to be uncontrollable. We're going to go out and people are going to be raised from the dead. And I remember once where <laughs> praying, with a group of uh, praying with a group of pastors. <laughs> you know, they're all praying, you know, just their prayers, you know, like what you'd expect. <laughs> and I just like, the burden of intercession comes upon me and I like start travailing, start just weeping. I'm crying. <laughs> And then one of the pastors, you know, passed me on the back, you know. You've been there, right, Albert? How many of you are intercessors? Uh, you've been in this experience, okay? I'm just like crying. I'm just bawling. I'm just hungry for God, and I'm just praying, and I was praying for somebody, and, and the compassion, God's compassion for the lost just hit me. And so then, you know, boy, he's losing his mind there, you know. Start patting me on the back, and then they start praying to comfort me. That didn't feel very good. It felt kind of weird. My wife is really discerning. She's like, she's like, she's super discerning. I left that prayer meeting. And she's like, where have you been? You haven't been doing anything bad, have you? You feel all slime. I'm like, no, I promise, I haven't. She's like, what? I was just at a prayer meeting. So really? What happened? I go, well, there's one thing that was kind of weird, that, but I didn't, there's nothing wrong there. And I started telling her, and she goes, oh, that's nasty. And I go, I felt they were grieving the Spirit. She says, you better pray that off of you. So I started praying and saying, Lord, forgive us for grieving the Spirit. And it was like being delivered. It's like being set free. Wow, that'll preach. You see, we, it's so easy to point the finger and to look at the sins that are out there. We've got to look at our own hearts. Our need for comfort our safety zones, our little areas that, you know, we don't want to get out. We think a certain thing, we lay hold of it, and it's our little pet belief. What are we willing to lay down? Are we willing to love one another? Are we willing to commit? Are we willing to give ourselves over? See, if you want to see transformation, I mean... Brian Burton could have come to Argentina, to Argentina and been part of the global conference and gotten another idea. And gone back and tried it out. And we've seen people doing that all the time. You get inspired, you know, you try it out. But if you're not all in, you're not going to see the results. You have to be willing to go all in. All in with the Lord. How much are you willing to commit? How many times can you get punched and rejected and you're going to keep pushing forward? I believe 
In fact, I, you forget about what I believe. This is the most influential area on the planet, arguably, right? People were planning years ago about changing the world in here, and they have. They're changing the world right here. Creating innovation, envisioning the future right here. I believe it's all a divine setup. I believe the Lord has planted all of us here, the body of Christ, those of us who are here. This is the least churched area in our nation, or one of them. It's up at the top. And you know it's hard. It's difficult. So humanistic, so materialistic. And just the run, the grind, the run, the run, the run. Just trying to survive. I believe this is a setup because God is going to move with so much power. Right here. Signs, wonders, and miracles. I want to go to Thailand and Brian tease me and say, hey, tell me about the latest person who's been raised from the dead in Silicon Valley. I believe the Lord wants to do it. I believe the Lord wants to use you to raise people from the dead. These signs will follow those who believe. If you believe in me, you will do the same things I have done and even greater works than these. So, Now would be a good time to take a break. <laughs> so, um, we're going to continue. We're going to talk about your Jerusalem. And we're going to talk more about uh, personal transformation, who you are, when we get back. But um, uh, why don't we take a few minutes? Are there any questions? You have a question? <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a short 10-minute break and then come back. And uh, if you think of any questions over the 10 minutes, we can start out with questions when you get back. All right? All right. Sound the shofar. That's Albert Wright, my good friend. Um, you'll see up there, that's my cell phone number. Um, so I mentioned that I am the chief intercessor for this ministry, Transform Our World. So um, I lead a network of praying people uh, around the Bay Area and beyond. And uh, we meet, um, we were meeting every Thursday from 12 to 1. You can still come on our prayer call at that time. Text me that number, and if you text prayer call, I'll tell you how to call into that. Um, but we also pray uh, every day of the week, uh, except for Sundays. So uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday from 12 to 1, Monday, Tuesday, 12, well, I mean, uh, Thursday we go a little bit over an hour um, because Albert gets on and he starts sounding the shofar and we just keep praying and praying and praying. Hallelujah. 
and have a good time. The other calls go from 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, and if you can only hop on for five minutes, that's awesome. And if you're coming and you're filled with uh, a faith and you want to pray for others, that's great. And if you need a miracle yourself, it's awesome. God does amazing, amazing stuff. Every time we hear miracles about what he's doing, it's incredible. Um, and then on Wednesday, we pray from 9 to 9, 9 to 10. Okay, so Wednesday's the one day that's different. But if you text me that, you can get on our list. And every Thursday, I send out a reminder. And we'd love to have you pray with us. We're building a digital house of prayer to pray 24-7 all the time. That's our goal that we're building towards for miracles and for transformation. Like one Argentine pastor said, Omar Olier, he said, if you don't need a miracle, you don't need God. <laughs> God is a God of miracles. Amen. That is so powerful. If we're content just to live our normal lives, we don't need God. But if we have God, he wants to live through us and do what we can't do on our own. Amen? All right. So uh, any questions? You guys like the first half so far? Any questions? Wow, I just must be a brilliant teacher because I preempted all of your questions. Okay, so we're going to have a homework assignment throughout this class. And um, that's very, very important. Um, I would encourage you, one, I would encourage you to get these books. Like I said, next week I'll have them. And uh, this is kind of the foundational one. They were written in sequence. They all build upon the other. The best is to dive into them. Uh, they're also available on audiobook. Um, so that's part of your assignment to read those. But, you know, I don't want this to be an in, uh, uh, intellectual class. My desire is not that you come away with head knowledge. But my desire is that you get activated. Yes. To start doing the stuff. To start being the person, being the intercessor that you get better connected, I would encourage you to, to come on those calls. They are awesome. Here's the testimony we heard last week. Prayer changes stuff. And if we are going to change stuff, we have to be intercessors. And if we're going to transform our city, we have to understand that the foundation is understanding the call of God as an intercessor. So uh, this is what happened on our last call. Uh, Scott William Winters... The actor, if you guys know of him, Scott Winters, he just, he's in a movie, um, be, uh, just came out beautifully broken. But he was, he, his most famous role that I'm aware of is, uh, um, you saw Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon. Uh, the, guy, the guy that Matt Damon punks, he plays that guy. So the long ponytail one. Anyways, um, he's an actor on fire for God, based in Hollywood. They just had this prayer event, 72 hours of prayer. They pitched a tent in the center of Hollywood, right across the street from the gates of Babylon. They're like literally called the gates of Babylon. And they just prayed there. They had prayer warriors there and all that. And one of his friends has a 24-7 house of prayer um, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Hollywood. It's on Sunset Boulevard. He's been doing it for like four years or so. The guy's a disciple of Cindy Jacobs. And uh, how many of you have heard of Cindy Jacobs? Yeah. Incredible prayer, woman of prayer. Okay. So... Uh, the house that is the, the house of prayer, 
It's open 24-7. It's not manned 24-7 yet. They're building up for it. But it's open all the time to go in, for people to go in there and pray. It's, it, it used to be a former porn studio. So the Lord's redeemed it and taken it over, okay? They were praying, and a few years back, they were praying and they got this prophetic word in their prayer that the, um, the strong man over Hollywood was, uh, boy, I don't know if I should share this on the live stream. Hey, turn the live stream off. Okay, so <laughs> that the strong man over Hollywood was Hugh Hefner. That's what the prophetic word the Lord gave him. So they went and they, but you're not streaming. You're just recording, so that's okay. Because um, we can edit it out later. And they go and they, so they feel as a direction of that, they go and they pray outside of his house in Hollywood. And they pray and then it just starts pouring down rain and they felt that was prophetic. Was and then it's, let me finish the story. <laughs> Just before he died. And he prayed, and the Lord told them to prophesy the financial ruin of his empire. And they prophesied that. And then they said, towards the end of their prayer, there's ah, this howling like a dog, like howling in the back, back of the house. It didn't sound natural. It happened like, you know, five minutes, and then it disappeared. It ended. And they felt something was evicted. Well, that weekend, the news hit, um, I think, the, the business, business Weekly, that his number one, his top investor had pulled out and his empire was in ruins. And then shortly after that, he died. And then shortly after that, the Harvey Weinstein thing hits the news. And now hundreds of high-power executives are, because of the Me Too movement, are... Are, 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 have been taken down. Who would have thought that out of Hollywood, I mean, that, that culture would change. And that out of Hollywood, the conscience of our nation, now, I mean, it's a big mess. It's not all, you know, it, it, I mean, they're not saved, you know. A revival's not clean, you know, it's messy, you know. But just think that, that out of Hollywood would come awakening in our in our conscience as a nation that the sexual oppression of women is not right. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm praying that out of Silicon Valley something similar will happen and will evict, evict the spirit of pornography out of the internet and out of uh, high tech. Why not? Let's believe it. God can do anything. So, Scott Winters doesn't come on every week, but sometimes he joins us. And those are some of the exciting things that happen on our prayer call. So I want to enjoy, invite you to join us, okay? And, and, and if you're excited about that, so text me, okay? Folks, prayer can change stuff, and you can change stuff. So, um, what was I talking Oh, that was, okay. So before the second hour, I want to get very practical. And here's the main assignment I want you to do, Okay. We're going to call it the prayer of three. Yeah, you were supposed to start that a while ago. <laughs> hey, uh, turn it sideways so it's not up and down, because then when I do the post-production editing, it'll work better. Fine. Wonderful. No problem. Okay. Um, what is the prayer of three? 
I want you to choose three people who need a miracle and you're going to pray for them. And uh, I want us to pray and push in and believe God. Okay? I said about prayer evangelism. The most powerful tool we have to convince the unbelievers that what we're saying is real is let God do the heavy lifting. Hallelujah. We call it prayer evangelism. I'm going to go into this more in depth later, but this comes out of Luke chapter 10, and I'm just going to overview it, okay? So you guys can go practice, you can go try it out and get activated, and then we'll learn more about it, okay? That's how I like to teach basketball. I like to throw the ball out there. We start playing, and then, you know, then we'll improve. But we're having fun as we go along, okay? Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70, and he tells them to do four things. The first thing he does is, well, I'm going to take advantage of this board. He tells them to speak peace everywhere you go. So we say, bless. So it's, your assignment is the prayer of three. We call this prayer evangelism. Prayer evangelism. There you go. Because prayer and evangelism shouldn't be two separate things. They should be intertwined together. And it's not just about praying so that when we can go out and we can talk. It's more than that. It's using prayer, answers to prayer, a supernatural God, as the most powerful tool we have to demonstrate to the world the truth of our message. Jesus rose from the dead. That's a pretty crazy hypothesis. Everyone's talking about the singularity is coming. I tell you, the singularity already happened and it was a person, Jesus. One person changes everything. That's a crazy hypothesis if you're just a natural human being. And we're saying, you know what? If you can't believe on behalf of the words I'm saying, don't worry. Look at the works that I can do in his name. So number one, in Luke chapter 10, he sent him out and he says, bless, speak peace to the people. When you bless, you know what happens? The spiritual climate changes. We need to start blessing the Bay Area. Amen. We've been so guilty of cursing it. It's so hard here. Whatever. Bless it. This is a beautiful place. God has created. And as you start blessing, you're going to get feedback like this. People are going to say, you know, I get a good vibe when I'm around you. You have a good aura. That is new age, unbelieving lingo for I'm receiving peace from you. How many of you work in a hostile uh, business environment? Okay, start arriving at work early and begin to bless. Change the spiritual climate. Start speaking peace. You'll dismantle them. You'll disarm them. Because he said, go out, speak peace. You're lamb amongst wolves. A lamb among wolves. You're in a hostile business environment. You feel like a lamb among wolves, right? Peace is powerful. Because then he tells you to eat and drink whatever is put in front of you. Fellowship. If you're a wolf, if you're a lamb, the last thing you want to do is eat a meal with a wolf. Because after he's eaten the first course, he wants the second course, and it's going to be you. But he says it's all right. You can eat with him, because before you do it, I'm giving you the power to change the spiritual climate. See, when you're blessing people, 
Folks, your words are more than just words. It's not just a greeting. We have Jesus inside of us. And when we speak peace, when we speak blessing, it changes the spiritual climate. It changes the atmosphere, and it turns wolves into lambs. And you then fellowship with them. Just be normal. Get to know them. Be friends with sinners. Then number three, minister to them. Pray for the sick. If you really want to see miracles, you know, the paradigm we've had is that the most holy place is on the altar, right in the front. Get right in the front. So the most holy people sit right in the front, right near the middle, which I'm all for. That's great, you know. Get up there. Get filled up. But if you want to see miracles, signs and wonders, who are the ones that need signs? If you drive, I don't need a sign to drive to church. I've been coming here for two years. I know how to get here. It's the ones who are lost, who need signs to know where they need to go. Go out into the city, into your workplace, into the hostile environment. Bless people. The spiritual climate changes. They'll want to hang out with you. Just be a friend. Don't be religious. And then minister to them. Minister to their felt need. Pray for them. Oh man, you don't look so good today. What happened? You know, I just got back from the doctor and I got the lump removed and there's a biopsy and it's cancerous. It's stage four. Man, it's horrible. Let me pray for you. Oh, it's not going to work. I don't believe in God. Oh, don't worry. You don't have to believe in God. I believe in God. I don't believe in prayer. Oh, you don't have to pray. I'll pray. I don't believe in Jesus. Oh, don't worry about that either. When I'm done, you will. Nobody's going to say no. Minister to their felt needs. And I'll tell you, you'll find so much authority. When we've been living here in the Bay Area, you know, full-time missionaries, God bless you ladies, take the presence of God back to Hollister. You're responsible to watch the rest of it. Um, you know, working for a nonprofit organization, a ministry, you know, living by faith, the Bay Area is not like the most logical place in the world to plan a nonprofit organization. One, there's not very many Christians here. You know, two, I mean, if you notice, the cost of living's kind of high. One of the things that we did is support other missionaries. And we had one friend, uh, Sandra, uh, who was a mentor to my wife. And she was a missionary in, um, in um, Morocco, taking care of some orphan children there. Amazing woman. And she had so much favor. Just, you know, you do the stuff. You bless. You fellowship. You minister. And people like you, you know. When you do the stuff of Jesus, when we get rid of religion. But what we would do is we'd always make sure we gave her enough that she really, really needed it. And it was selfish motives. Because when we had money, we'd say, God, we could pray for her. If we don't have money, she's going to suffer. And then the poor orphans, God, you better meet our need. And there's such a profound spiritual principle there. You get what I'm saying? You're down, you're stuck, and you're whining about everything that's going wrong, that's going wrong. And you know what you need to do. You know you've got to start being more grateful and being more thankful. But you're in such a funk, you don't want to do that. But if you can look outside yourself and pray for someone who has a greater need, man, it lifts you up. 
you start feeling better. Whatever you're going through. When we minister to others, the Lord begins to bless us. When we put others first, we start feeling compassion for those, for the others. It makes us grateful for everything that we've got. And you know what? That's where you're going to see his power. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you. So it's all about believing the word and abiding in that word. Right? Facing rejection. Staying firm to the word that you believe and to the vision you have, despite the rejections, despite the setbacks. And if you can abide in it, if you can live in it, stay in there then you will ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. That the Father may be glorified. You see, the conditions are abiding in Him, and then when we ask for the Father to be glorified, if you want to see God move, start praying for others. Oh man, folks, this is such a powerful principle. And I feel the Lord ministering to some of you right now. Because it's hard living in the Bay Area. It's a grind, okay? I used to joke and say, you're either driving a Tesla or you're struggling. But now I realize that those that are driving Teslas are struggling. (laughs) Some of them have all the money in the world, but they're so broken, so empty inside. Do you know, uh, it's better now, this is an old stat, but the school, Gund High School in Palo Alto for a while, this was like five years ago, had a suicide rate that was like leading the nation. Gund School are the kids of the Palo Alto elite. And the suicide rate is off the charts? Why? These kids have everything you could ever imagine. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. We minister. And when we minister and pray for others, that's when we're, that's when we're going to see God's power. And then the fourth step is proclaim. Proclaim. I'm going to take a whole class to go into this more in depth. I'm just touching on it now. But I want you to see the shift, the paradigm shift. We begin by blessing. Blessing changes the spiritual climate. We begin praying. Let the Lord change your heart. If you're, living, if you're going to work in a negative environment, let the Lord give you love and compassion for the people that don't know Him there. And begin to bless, speak peace. They have a destiny to create motorcycles, to glorify the Lord. You know, to be Harley riders for Jesus. To know His joy. Get beyond the outward manifestation to feel His love for their hearts. And to see them the way God sees them. To begin to call their destiny out. And then fellowship with them. You know, I used to hear stories about, and I'd see, I'd walk with my friends that would be such, an, you know, I had a friend of mine, his name was Ray, so anointed. I mean, we'd go to a restaurant, we'd think he'd go up to go to the restroom, and he'd go and lead like three different waiters and the cooks in the back to the Lord and come back. And I always felt like, I felt inspired. I loved it. I loved hanging out with him. But I also felt so guilty because I couldn't do that. And I'd carry this weight and I'd try and I'd try to imitate him. You know, sometimes I'd do better. And until I realized the Lord says, stop trying to make it work and just love people. Care about them. Take an interest in them. Well, you don't have to tell them about Jesus. It's about them. Listen. Care for them. Get to know them. 
And then in that context, minister to them. Pray for them. I was in Trader Joe's the other day, and I was just being myself and talking with everybody, and there was a lady there, and I said, hi, blah, 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 blah. And then she shared something about, uh, I think her, 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 her aunt was going through a hard time. And I walked away, and then I felt, I needed to pray for her. I go back, and I said, you know, I like to pray. Uh, can I pray for your aunt? She goes, I'd love that. I laid hands on her right there in Trader Joe's and prayed for her aunt. She looked up, she has tears in her eyes. I said, thank you, that meant so much. And then, when you minister and when people are touched, now you can proclaim, what happened to me? I wasn't looking for God and he just showed up. Okay, you're proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay? So that's an overview of these four steps. And here's your assignment. I want you to choose three people. Okay? Who need a miracle. You're going to start blessing those people. This is going to become a lifestyle. You're going to do it at your work. You're going to do it everywhere, okay? To everybody, but we're going to start focusing on three. I want you to think of three people, and you're going to start blessing those people. And that's going to be our assignment, okay? We're going to carry that throughout the six weeks, and we're going to see what miracles the Lord does. So that means next week you have to come back, and I guess you have to bring in a paper with the names of the three people on them that you're praying for, Okay? And you're going to start doing prayer evangelism. All right? So I wanted to share a word. I've told you all these stories. Um, but when Jesus sent out the, the disciples, he says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It started where they were at. What is your Jerusalem? Our Jerusalem is the Bay Area. And this place needs Jesus. What are your thoughts about the Bay Area? Describe the Bay Area to me. A couple words. Rich area. Rich. Busy. 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 Greed. Stressful. Greed. Stressful. What? Traffic. You ain't never lived in L.A. Yeah, there's traffic here, but man, you've never been on 405, rush hour, there's no traffic here compared to that. Technology? Technology. What? Faith. Faith? Fake. Fake. See how we're describing it mostly with pain? It's true. Rich? Do you guess which state has the highest rates of poverty in our nation? California, no. Cal, uh, California, and I think number two is Connecticut. Because the cost of living is off the charts. Okay, that's not just, the, and the, the rates of poverty in the Central Valley are really heartbreaking. But that's not just the Central Valley, it's right here. Do you know uh, another measure of poverty is what they call food insecurity, hunger. When we think of hunger, where do we think of? Africa, right? Uh, they define food insecurity moder uh, mild, moderate, and extreme. Okay? Do you know what the... So uh, a moderate food, uh, a food insecurity means... Um, it, like, so the last year they had stats for was 2016. Um, that means that at one time during the year, 2016, a family has moderate food insecurity if at one point during the year they have to decide 
whether to pay a bill or to put food on the groceries on the table, okay? Do you know what our national rate of food insecurity is in the U.S.? One in eight households. To me, that's horrible. This is America. I mean, all the food we waste, there's no reason. This isn't, this isn't Africa. Okay, do you know what the rate of food insecurity in the Bay Area is in 2016? One in four households. One in four households. That's real. I found out that was real, real when I started getting involved. A friend has a grocery uh, uh, distribution. He partners with a, a variety of, of, of grocery stores, primarily with Trader Joe's. So every other, um, every other Sunday at 10.30, I go get a truckload of groceries from Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. They're giving away like hundreds of millions of dollars a year. It's so, super cool. We take them, we give them away. What began to touch me is the people, you know, pe a lady I knew, she was a single mom. She felt so touched by a box full of groceries. I'm like, this is really making a difference for you. And it's a face you wouldn't even see. It's right here in the Bay Area. Folks, we need to see what I'm trying to say. I actually, when I hear those stats, it kind of validates me in a sense that, oh, no wonder it's so hard here. I'm not the only one. Do you know how much it costs to rent a U-Haul from Las Vegas to San Francisco? It's like uh, $200. Do you know what it costs to rent a U-Haul from San Francisco to Las Vegas? Yeah, about 3,000, about close to 10 times the amount. Do you know one in four inhabitants in the Bay Area are planning on leaving within four years? They have an extra strategy? It's hard. To me, I guess I'm a little crazy. That actually gets my blood flowing, and I'm like, one more reason God's going to move here. This place is full of needs. On the outside, it looks so good. But on the, you don't have to scratch the surface very deep to find the pain, the hunger. Yes, it's so materialistic. Yes, it's so busy. But that busyness means you're empty. It means your family's broken. It means what you care about the most. You can get all this money in the world, but what you care about the most, you're losing. Your family, your relationships. This place needs Jesus. It's ripe for a move of God. The Bay Area is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. Amen. It's longing for us to wake up and realize who we are. Where is your Jerusalem? Right here. What I get really excited about, I love telling all the stories. I'm going to be this fired up for the next six weeks. I'm just going to get more and more fired up. I love hearing God move. But I tell you, 22 years, it's been bittersweet. Because Ed comes back from Thailand or comes back from Indonesia and he talks about meeting with the future president and how the Lord gives them a prophetic word and he prays over them and they're touched and wow. And I'm like, hallelujah! And I'm like, God, when are you going to do it in the Bay Area? We have hurting people here. And we have influential people here. When are you going to break through? I want to tell you, you know what? What the Lord told me? When he's going to break through? Do you know when's the time for the Bay Area? 
It's now. Amen. Now. That's why our global conference is happening here, because the Lord said, it's my time for the Bay Area. We put this conference in a place that's experiencing transformation. So we're going to tell the whole world, come to the Bay Area, the least churched area in our nation, because this is the hotbed for transformation. The Lord said, it's my time for the Bay Area. I sovereignly planted you here. And I had the end in mind. And now I want you to give your very best. When we first did that, and I felt the Lord telling me, this was in 2015, we're going to bring our global conference here to the Bay Area. And the Lord says, it's my time for the Bay Area. Start looking people in the eyes and tell them with conviction, it's my time for the Bay Area. He's going to do it. He brought you here, right here for this time, right now. I said, Lord, I've been telling them that for like 20 years. I keep saying that over and over. They're going to think I'm crazy. Oh, Ted again. He says, yeah, you have been. That was a few years you kind of pulled back from it. <laughs> he says, because you've been saying it is why I can trust you. It's his time. He wants to move right here and he wants to use you. He wants to use us. Well, I was going to... Who are you? What's your Jerusalem? Let's go to Judges. I want to bring, I want to show you something out of Gideon. Man, I thought I had lots of time. I do this over and over, and now I've got like 10 minutes left. Okay, so Gideon. How many of you know who Gideon is? How many of you know, uh, wait. How many of you know which book? Oh, the, our main curriculum book is this book, the Bible. How many of you know what this one is? Okay. Yeah. All right. There's two parts of it. New Testament, Old Testament. You guys know that? Okay. Have you heard of Gideon? Yeah. He's in the book. Okay. Okay. You just weren't responding earlier. I'm like, all right. He's in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. The Israelites are sinning again, and they get in trouble because they're sinning. And then they cry out to God, and God sends a prophet, and he says, all right, I'm going to deliver you. Wow, prophetic words are great, but you don't just need a prophet. You need a Gideon. You need an intercessor who's going to lay hold of the prophetic word and make it happen. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Josiah the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What does Gideon think about himself? I ain't nobody, man. I'm just surviving. I'm a chicken. I'm a coward. I'm threshing it in the wine press, the Midianites. Wow, folks. Before God could give him a strategy, he had to speak over him his identity. And what does Gideon... Oh, folks. Man, I wish I had more time. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this horrible stuff happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
Well, God had already told them why those things weren't happening, because they had sinned and broken from, from him. So he's asking again, well, didn't you hear what the prophet said? But look how the Lord responds. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midianites' hand. Am I not sending you? God isn't concerned about the past. He's concerned about the future. He's not here to beat you up and say, Oh, you know, this is why everything's all bad in your life. He's like, No, let's move forward. We're going to change it now, and I'm going to partner with you. But you see, Gideon was disqualifying himself because he thought he was a coward. Maybe he was afraid. If you had a bunch of bullies around who came with camels and just the Midianites were tough, man. You know, what's that saying? I think uh, uh, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't trying to get me, you know? <laughs> Look, but Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. He feels like, like a failure. But he had somehow succeeded in planting wheat, he had succeeded in harvesting wheat, and he was pretty clever. Figure out if I thresh it in a wine press, they won't see me and I can get something to eat. He thinks he can only survive. I say, don't diminish the power of survival. The devil's thrown everything at you. He's tried to kick you out of this area. He's tried to take you out. He's tried to stolen, steal your faith. And you're still here. And Jesus says, no, I see a warrior. I'm going to use those tools within you, but all that you're lacking is my anointing. What you've learned to survive, what you've experienced, what you've learned to survive in this negative context, to keep your faith whole, all it's lacking is for me to come alongside you, hold your hand, and we're going to use those same skills. I be, you think you've been threshing wheat in a wine press? I have been training you to be, lead a team of guerrilla warriors who are going to figure out a different way to defeat an army. Oh, hallelujah. He spoke his identity over them. Don't diminish the power of survival in your own life. The devil's thrown all this stuff at you. You know what your greatest asset is? It's not that you're super smart. It's not that you're really handsome. That you've got a sweet bald head. That's not your greatest asset. When I am weak, he is strong. Your greatest asset is your brokenness. Right? Nothing speaks to people than God coming in. Can we realize and project that forward where I feel I'm broken right now? That's where the Lord wants to allow me to experience His power. Folks, when we understand that, how, what can the devil do to us? Your greatest asset is your brokenness. And when we understand that, we become unstoppable. When I am weak, He is strong. I can tell you, man, you know, the way to reach a city is to be really tall. And you guys are going to say, yeah, wonderful, great. At least I know where you're at. <laughs> but if I can share how the Lord's come into my brokenness, where I was down, where he... Some of you have just survived. And you've been disqualifying yourself. Threshing wheat in a wine press. I have great dreams. I want to break through. I want to change the world. And I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. Lord, I barely have enough. I'm going to make enough to eat and still be hungry. That's all. And the Lord says, you are a mighty warrior. 
Because the devil's tried to take you out, Johnny, and he's failed. Don't diminish the power of survival. You're here. Everything in this Bay Area is pushing you away from God, and you're here, and you're on fire. And this church is here. This church is strong. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's about to break through. Go in this your strength. Look, I am with you. Oh, look at what Gideon says. Pardon me, my Lord. He says, go, I'm going to save you. I am with you. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answers, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites leaving none alive. And then he says, all right, I'm interested, but give me a sign. You know, we always think that the the whole, and the Lord gives them a sign, (laughs) and, you know, he puts the offering there and it gets burned up. And then he's like, okay, great sign. Gets the sign, takes a little step of obedience. Lord tells him what to do. Tear down the idol that's right in front of your father's house. And sacrifice. You ever thought about that? Gideon tore down the idol that was right in front of his father's house. That means his father was the priest of this idol. And he does it. The Lord tells him to do it, so he does it at night. Takes the easiest way out, but he still does it. And then his father, who's the priest, is the one who defends him. Every time he takes a step, God comes through. But the whole thing with the fleece... It wasn't about, you know, we always say, I'm putting a fleece before the Lord because I'm trying to find out what, you know, what direction to go. Do I go right or I go left? That's not what Gideon was doing. Gideon knew exactly what he was supposed to do. I'm supposed to go kick the Midianites out. His question is, is God, are you really with me? Are you really going to do what you said you were going to do? You see, God has a higher opinion of us than we have of ourselves. And what you see is just survival. What you think disqualifies you. The Lord says, no, I see something in you. You're my child. You haven't given up. You haven't bowed the knee. The devil's thrown all this stuff at you and you're still here. All you're lacking is for me to hold your hand, tell you who you are, and we're going to go into battle together. And what you've, what's allowed you to survive is now going to allow you to overcome. All it's lacking is my anointing. That is my prayer for you. And that's what I see. I see it right now. The Lord's awakening you all to go change the Bay Area. What's, so who are you? It's my first question. I think it's on the notes. Who are you? And what's in your hand? What's the Lord given you? When God called Moses, he said, Moses, what's in your hand? You look there. It's a shepherd's staff. That's what I'm going to use. What do you have right in front of you? And what are you going to do about it? What's your pain? Are you lonely? Maybe the Lord wants to use you to reach those who are lonely. Isn't that what they do in Silicon Valley? A problem's not a problem. A problem's a market opportunity. 
<laughs> the greatest asset we have is our humility to come before the Lord in our brokenness and say, Lord, meet me right where I'm at. So why don't we add to this prayer for three plus one. Where do you need a miracle? A big thing. By big thing, I mean like, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that's always draining on you? What's the thing when you're, you know, like my friend, he's hearing these testimonies, he's seeing these guys, he's meeting the people firsthand who I'm telling you about, but there's this wall between him and that. What he longs for more than anything else is to be part of that movement. But he can't. Why? Because his marriage is just messed up. I can't enter in. I, me and my wife can't get along, and I keep screwing up. Boom, boom, boom. That's the wall. So I'm hearing these testimonies. We have this, right? We're sitting there, and yes, but we still leave with our butts. I believe that's actually your greatest asset. That thing that's gnawing on you that's saying, this disqualifies me. I can't reach that because of. Let's believe for a breakthrough in that area. I'm not going to share his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but I'll tell you, that friend of mine, he broke through that wall. Now he's on fire. Your greatest, what you feel is the thing that's disqualifying you. That's your greatest asset. What did Jesus have carrying over him all the time? His death. I'm going to die. He's trying to share with people and nobody understands him. He's carrying that. And that was the thing that broke through, the greatest thing that broke through, that changed everything. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for reminding me that the clock has ended. All right, stand up. Now that I told you all to stand up, I'm going to give an invitation. If, you are a, if you're coming to this class and not going to leave, right? Wait, are you guys all going to, is this going to be empty next week? Okay. Are you accepting this assignment to pray for three and to pray for one, the breakthrough in your own life, your own sphere, your own family, whatever it is, okay? You're going to, I'm, so this will be confidential, okay? But your assignment is to come back and pray over this and share this with me. And we're going to believe God for you to be activated. All right? So stand up if you're in with this, okay? All right. Raise your right hand. Say, Father God, I believe you are calling me. And I say, Yes. Yes, Lord. Use me. I'm going to go for it. You love the Bay Area, you love my neighborhood. You love me. You called me. And I agree with you.
Amen. 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 All right. Well, God bless you all. We'll see you next Tuesday. I will have these books here, more of them to purchase next week. These books are, you can also get them on Amazon. I'm going to have a whole bunch of these next week at a good price. So, Ecclesia, Transformation, and Anointed for Business. Oh, if you're in the Bay Area, you can join this class at the Impact School of Ministry at Gateway Church. Uh, look that up and come on down. I think it's free. Is it, is it free to go to this class? It's $5 to go to this class. Every Tuesday, 7 to 9 for the next six weeks. Come on down. And I am... Praise God. It's awesome.